Okay, welcome everybody to the final episode of the AMR Origin Series, at least underneath our team of AMR editors. Um, we launched the series uh, about two and a half years ago, just, uh, just over two years ago, um, as part of one of the initiatives that we would engage in as an AMR editorial team underneath the leadership of Sherry Thatcher, our editor-in-chief. And uh, so to bookend or to wrap up this series, at least as it stands underneath the team that have launched it and put it on for the last few years, we're going to chat a little bit about um, or reflect a little bit on why we launched this series, what did we get from launching this series, what have we learned, what might we do differently, and how do we think that some of this content can live on into the future. So I'm joined um, for this final discussion and interview by Sherry, and, um, and her and I are going to have a little bit of a discussion about the series and what we can take from it. So Sherry, thank you for being here. Of course. I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe it's been two and a half years since we launched this. I can't believe it's been three years since our term, but I'm really excited to be able to talk um, and reflect on the Origin series. Awesome. So when you set out at the start of your term and, and sort of discussing potential initiatives and where you were going to invest time, effort, and energy, and where we as a team would, 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 would put our focus um, what were you hoping to achieve in sort of launching this concept of the origins, the AMR origin series? And to what extent do you think you've, you or all of us collectively have been able to hit on some of those sort of aims, objectives, or things that you were striving to achieve? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think this was um, a perfect example of one of the things that we wanted to do. Like our team was really focused on intentional inclusion. And the idea behind the intentional inclusion of diverse voices and global perspectives is um, being able to reach people that are scholars that may not have a sense of what AMR is about or how to write theory papers. And I, I had thought and really wanted to use technology in some different way than we've traditionally used to be able to reach people who don't always have access to our journals or to our workshops or to our conferences. And um, to be completely um, frank, I, I didn't come up with this specific idea. Richard McAdock in one of our um, meetings, right, as we were throwing around and spitballing ideas about what are some of the things that we can do to really help um, do this outreach. And Richard said, hey, you know, I do this other thing for the strategy field, but maybe we could adapt it somewhat and do it for the AMR. For AMR. Um, and so with a lot more discussion on our team and, and with Rich, we decided, yeah, you know, this would allow us to be able to interview authors and get them to talk about where their ideas come from, because that is one of the things that we often get asked, right? When we're at a conference and people go, oh my gosh, you're the AMR editor, you're the AMR associate editor. How, how do you come up with your ideas? And we thought, well, maybe, you know, it would be helpful for people to just understand where ideas come from and how people take those ideas and actually turn them into actual beautiful, beautifully written manuscripts um, in their own words. And so that is the genesis of the origin series. And um, I think that it was a, is a perfect fit for our, our intentional inclusion of diverse voices and global perspective mission. 
What do you and, think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the things that excites me in this sort of context is the opportunity to experiment a little bit. Because when you step into the role as an editor or an associate editor or into any role of leadership, you've sort of got the notion, well, we can do what's always been done. And yeah. often it's important to carry forward that legacy and to stick with certain institutional norms and ways of doing things and best practice. But in addition, there's a there's an opportunity to say, well, what hasn't been done before that we could experiment with and do something different with in order to reach a new audience, convey a new message, reveal new insights. And, um, and to me, this is one of those things that hadn't necessarily been done and certainly not in this format. And so I, I think it's part of sort of, if you think about our objectives as a team, it's one of the things we're doing to be a little bit different or to at least experiment and be, be somewhat innovative in terms of opening up this perspective on theorizing, on writing conceptual papers, on understanding what goes into the back end of a paper. And, and, um, and, and it's certainly been, you know, there's been certain things that have been highly revealing, and we'll talk a little bit about some of those lessons in a moment, but it also hasn't necessarily been easy. And, and I don't think it's necessarily appealed to everybody. Uh, right. And that's the nature of experimenting with something that's a little different, that's out of the norm, is that you'll reach some people, you'll 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 connect with certain people, and you won't necessarily connect with everyone. Um, and yeah. so I think just being part of the sort of notion of of experimenting to um, expand scholarship and to think about you know scholarship in a different way is really, really exciting. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so this definitely was a big grand experiment. Um, I also love the idea. We started off thinking, okay, we were just going to be doing these uh, videos that we could post on YouTube. And then then I think you were the one, right, who said, no, well, let's put it on podcast form. And by doing that, I think you expand, expand it even more. It's a different way of, you know, using what we've done and putting it in a different fashion, but to try to reach a broader audience. And um, it certainly worked as, you know, I think that you mentioned we had about 14,000 views of some of the material um, in over 60 countries. So we've certainly been able to at least at least reach some people, right, who may be interested in this format. Yep. So what have you personally learned from the series, either from sort of facilitating and overseeing and leading those of us who've had the chance to be involved and or from listening to some of the authors tell their the, the backstories to some of their papers? Are there any sort of things that stand out as as learnings for you in terms yeah. of leading it or in terms of listening as a as a as a as a listener? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the the most fun things I've learned, I think, is how excited people are to talk, not necessarily about their research, but about the process. Um, that there are, you know, people love their research stories and kind of how it started and then where it, where they ran into problems and roadblocks. Um, and, and so the enthusiasm and excitement of authors to talk about that process and share that, I actually, I wasn't sure that people would be so excited to do that. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised about their their desire to. 
Just to, I want to, I want to build on that exact yeah. point because I think it's such an interesting point, and I think it's very pertinent for junior scholars or others listening out there. Is that simple question of tell me the backstory to your paper can reveal so much. Whether you meet someone at a conference and you recognize their name from a paper that you've read, or whether you've got someone visiting uh, and giving a talk at your institution, and you you have to sit down and have dinner with them or have a meeting with them and you, you're not too sure what to talk about. I think both in terms of people having the opportunity to talk about something that's dear and meaningful to them and actually feels like a substantive conversation. But on the other end of that, the person who gets listening to that, the opportunity to learn from that simple question. And so I think it's something that I would love to see more people going around at the Academy of Management conference and using as a conversation sparker and as right. an opportunity to learn in that kind of setting. So that just builds on the notion that people do love talking about the backstory to their research papers. Right. Which, again, I think it just is so funny, right? Because we always think, oh, people love to talk about their research. But in some ways, there's more excitement about that that backstory. Um, and then I just love some of the backstories. I mean, I think some of them were fabulous. Um, I, I particularly like the one about the, um, the, uh, so some authors were talking about teaching an MBA class about network effects, and they didn't have the the explanation for why something was happening. They could see that it happened. They could see this phenomena. They said the economists had written an entire um, article, articles about it, but yet they still didn't know how to explain it. And so they needed to write a theory paper to be able to teach better. And so we talk about research informing our class um, interactions, but sometimes our class interactions can inform our theorizing and our research. I, my, another favorite one of mine is the one about um, basketball coaches and how, you know, uh, the no strategy is a strategy and that that came about from watching a sport that many people love. And so, you know, th theory just comes from everywhere. Um, uh, one story that I enjoyed about not just where it came from, but how it started, how the process started was being stuck in an immigration line for three hours. And um, they started talking about a research idea. And they said, by the time they passed the customs line that they had the whole outline for the paper done. So, you know, use your time wisely, right? You never know when something is going to be an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the other lessons for me was around team formation. And when you do land up discussing with someone something that is a little bit contentious around which there is some energy and insight from the different individuals involved, but there is no obvious answer that that can often be the genesis of an opportunity for a conceptual paper when there's some other phenomenon or theoretical puzzle that collectively you can't solve, but you you as a as a, as two or three individuals come together and recognize that that this is something in theory we should be able to speak to, but we 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 can't. Um, that can often be the genesis, and it's often about bringing different groups of people together. Someone might be coming with a certain work experience, someone else yeah. with a certain theoretical background, and it's that 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 combinatorial effort. And then I I was always intrigued by what 
keeps that effort going over time. And, and I think, um, you know, using figures and diagrams as artifacts to create collective understanding, um, sometimes they land up in the paper, sometimes they don't, but the whole notion of being more visual in our theorizing, um, yeah. I think was was something that was revealed to me consistently. Um, the willingness to take time and be patient. Um, most of people's stories yeah. of how papers evolved were a lot longer, or the, the, the gestation period was a lot longer than I expected. And I think that it's for anyone embarking on this journey, the recognition that you don't do this in a weekend or in a few weeks or even in a few months, that it takes time for these things to germinate and to mature and to evolve both prior to the first submission and then through the R&R process was something that certainly struck me as being very consistent across many of the interviews and important almost in that paper, finding its voice and finding its home and finding a, a perspective. So those are certainly yeah. some of the things that struck me. I agree completely. I, I that that timing issue, right? Because it's another thing that we often hear from junior scholars. Oh, I can just write the theory paper first, and you know that won't take very long. <laughs> um, but in fact, you know, you, you heard consistently from all of the authors that how long the process takes, um, and sometimes it's it's a couple of failed papers that are then put together or, or revive, uh, revived after a certain amount of time that end up getting published. So it's not always that the first attempt goes somewhere. Sometimes you just need to, it, it just needs to marinate in the back of your mind for quite a while before it actually gets somewhere and gets um, to fruition. And part of that is the willingness to dive deep, dive deep, deeper into an area right. in which you might already have some expertise or deep into an area where that might be a little bit less familiar. And that can often read mean reading some of the classic or historical books to gain a, yes. a grasp of something, or it can mean um, uh, uh, really trying to understand um, a, a body of research that you haven't yet grasped in order to incorporate that properly. Um, it can mean in, in, in the one, the, the, the most recent episode that we just released, it can mean going going out and as a doctoral student taking additional coursework that you wouldn't have otherwise taken in right. order to get to grips with something. So I think you've got to be willing as an author to take your time, be patient, and go deep on certain things in order to get to the um, perspective and in order to create breakthroughs in, in understanding so that you've got something novel and inter interesting to say. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Would you do anything differently if you were going to reconceptualize this AMR origin series from both? And, and it might be conceptually differently. Think about sort of a, a, a different angle for it, or it might be very pragmatically differently, um, just basic things. Or do you think you would you would sort of follow a similar recipe if you were going back two and a half years and, and, and relaunching it? Yeah, I mean, I think for, I, I can't imagine at the time that we launched this, that we would have done anything that different than what we did. 
Um, I, of course, was not the one doing all the interviews and arranging all that. So you might have some more specific ideas on that. But one thing that I would have loved to have been able to do, um, and we talked about it briefly, but basically we're told that we weren't able to, is rather in addition to having these these videos on a YouTube channel and a podcast channel, but to embed them in the paper somehow um, so that a person as they're reading the paper can, can either before, after, during, whatever, actually listen to some of that backstory. It may actually make the paper jump to life a little bit more. So, you know, uh, AOM is changing and revising things all the time. And Possibly in the future, they, there may be an opportunity to do something like this, but I think that would be a nice addition. How yeah. about you? What do you think? What would you change? Um, so there, there, there are, I, I was actually a little uh, uh, concerned about the notion of people telling their backstory to their papers when we first launched this on the notion that, I, that to be honest, I didn't think people would would embrace it or tell the full story or they would, and, and I was surprised that they were. And so um, I think if you had asked me at the outset, I might've said, well, we could have a different focus to this, but I actually grew to really like and love the whole notion of there being a storytelling storytelling element to the backstories of papers. Now, I will say that um, creating a podcast or a set of video interviews is hard work. Um, and one of the things I've come to appreciate is just how hard it is to do a really, really professional job. And there are levels at which you can do this. So for anyone who picks up a, 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 a podcast and starts listening to The Hidden Brain or How I Built This or one of those very well-produced podcasts, the team, the effort, the energy that goes into all aspects of that as the someone who was producing these, I've got a new appreciation for just how much work that is. And, and so I would say we chose to do it fairly simply, fairly low level of editing, no sort of professional involvement, um, and just make the content available and, and give people access to these the the interviewees thoughts and perspectives and insights without trying to professionalize it too much right um and and i think that that's a that's almost like a conscious choice like we, we we're not going to go and spend lots of money and and take up all our time trying to produce a podcast and so i just hope that our listeners can appreciate that that was a choice that we made now, if I was continuing to do this and we were, we're going to say, oh, we're going to scale it and we're going to make it, maybe there's an opportunity to professionalize it a little bit more, but I actually don't know how much more we would get out of that. Um, I do, uh, I, I, I think that the, uh, the, uh, the interviews where we got people to where we spoke to more than one co-author were, yeah. and, and you saw some of that interaction between co-authors were uh, more slightly more engaging and you got a little bit more from seeing those interactions. So I think if we were doing it again, I'd almost insist that we try and get multiple authors involved if, the, if there was more than one author. Um, so that would be something. But, uh, but overall, um, I, I, I think in terms of, getting material out there that's valuable to others. 
I think, uh, and I hope that others will agree that we did a, a reasonable job. Well, I think you did a fantastic job. So <laughs> I would like to publicly thank you um, on this and say that it was one rich started it and he did a fantastic job when he was unable to do it any longer you jumped in and have have um really taken it to another level so thank you yeah so how do you hope this uh, this content will um will continue to add value um at, you know from our, our perspective this this will come out right at the end of our our official term as as the editorial team at AMR. Um, and yet, you know, uh, we, we, we I, I suspect don't don't want people to just stop listening or to never listen to any one of these in the future again and for them to just <laughs> die on the vine. So do you have any thoughts or ideas or perspectives of how it could actually have some kind of longevity to what we've created? Yeah, so I, you know, when I, I think when I we first started this, I was thinking, okay, um, the the reach is global, right? So that's the value in terms of reaching students or junior scholars or or people who don't have access to materials about understanding, theorizing, or what AMR does. Um, and and I think that we certainly have achieved that, and and that's where we see many people that are looking at at our materials. But I also realized that these are great for PhDs classes. Um, I've used them in my PhD class. I've talked to many others who have used them in their PhD classes because it does a few things, right? One, it kind of humanizes this research process, which just seems so daunting and scary to new PhD students. Um, second, it gets them to, it helps them realize that this is a long term, like writing a theory manuscript is hard, <laughs> but that ideas can come from anywhere. You don't have to be like the super smartest person in the world to be able to publish an AMR. You can have ideas that come from all sorts of things that you yourself are interested in um, that may help you with your theorizing. So I, I think it the our goal was to demystify where theory comes from, but I also think that it's helped to human, humanize and help people understand the process. And so if you're teaching a PhD class, whether it's on theory or not, I think having people listen to the interviews will give them a lot of insight um, and having discussions around those insights will be valuable for all involved. So I think that's, um, to me, the, the biggest impact place where we can encourage people to, to integrate some of what we've done with the AMR origin series. Yeah, especially if, any of the papers for which we've done interviews are part of your yes. uh, PhD sort of seminar syllabus, uh, assigning the interview alongside the paper and you sort of see both sides, you see the behind the curtain and, and, and then the publicly facing side of the paper um, can create a lot of richness to that discussion, um, uh, certainly. Yeah. Um, the I other the other area where I would love to see, um, or where I think we've probably already had a little bit of an impact, but I hope we will continue to have an impact, is just in having experimented with this format and creating this channel and talking about things in this kind of way. You know, AMJ have launched something, the AMJ radio idea, yeah. which builds on and extends and, and ex does even more exploration in different areas. And 
and they may or may not have done that if uh, if we hadn't tried this but I, but i believe we had some kind of impact on that and and on the same level i hope that other editors editorial teams will continue to experiment with creating ways to humanize research to reveal the the the, the back process to discuss and debate how things happen um and almost i envisage there being almost like a a network of content that's available um, to upcoming academics, upcoming scholars in the management field and in broader fields where they can tap into methodological ideas, conceptual uh, conceptual concepts, maybe ideas about writing, um, ideas about certain um, uh, 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 theories. Um, and you can almost pick and choose what you're going to consume. So much more of, of what's happening in the world today is being consumed via podcasts and YouTube yes. videos. And so I hope that we're part of the sort of front end of more of that in academia so that we can access more people, more people can get the, the, the insights and perspective and inspiration that they might need to write more papers. No, absolutely. I, and I think, again, if you go back to PhD classes and students, you know, we know that students now are learning differently. They're, in our PhD seminars in the in the past, I mean, it was just reading, talking, you know, and then once in a while you had a speaker, right? And um, now people are consuming and getting their information in so many different ways and learning in so many different ways that I think we need to respond to that. And I, I do think that we've been at the front end of experimenting with this kind of thing. Um, and I'm excited to see what some of these other journals are doing. I know that they've taken some inspiration from this and it's exciting to see. Fantastic. Well, Sherry, thank you for being willing to um, drive some new initiatives, for being willing to entrust both Rich and myself with sort of doing some of this stuff and giving us the opportunity and the access to authors to be able to chat with them and to be able to do it underneath the, the AMR brand. It's been, I think, for both of us, a, a, a privilege to reach out to so many people. And I'd love to just take the opportunity to thank all of the authors, author teams who were so responsive and so willing to engage and open up and share. Um, it was certainly a joy for me. And it's been um, uh, really, really um, enriching and engaging for me to be part of this. So thank you, Sherry. And I, as well, I would like to thank um, all of the authors that have participated. Um, and I apologize to any authors who would like to participate, but we're not gonna be around to do this anymore. Um, but I hope there'll be other venues for you to, to tell your backstory. Um, and also to you, know, you, of course, and to Rich for, for making this what it is. I mean, it, it truly would not have come to fruition unless um, you had taken the time and energy to, to do this and to do it so well. So we're in great gratitude and um, excited excited that we have this out there and we can always look back on it and, and, and see the important work that we've done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.